0: Eric Howellman.
1: Jim Campbell.
2: Steve
0: Soles. Michael J. Weiss Sr. Do solemnly swear, or affirm, that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic.
2: That I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same. And that I will obey the orders of the President of the United States and the orders of the officers appointed over me. According to regulations and the uniform code of military justice, so help me God. So help me God. So help me God. So So help me (laughs) God. Welcome to the Medal of Honor podcast with your host, Tiffany Martz-Ching. In this series entitled, Take a Knee with Tiffany, we hear from military service members and veterans who share their personal stories about some topics that are quite taboo. These topics span from mental health to addictions, domestic violence, sexual assault, physical assault, and suicide. After these 15 stories are shared, we will hear from a panel of mental health professionals talk about trauma and if untreated, can lead to addictions or suicidal ideations for attempting suicide. They also explain the different types of care available by a mental health professional. Let's join Tiffany now with this week's guest on the Medal of Honor. Welcome. Welcome to the Medal of Honor podcast, veteran stories of strength, courage, and perseverance. My name is Tiffany Marchink, and I am your host. For this week's episode, I sat down and spoke with the Marine Corps veteran, Ricky Johnson. Not only is he a Marine Corps veteran, he also is a North Carolina Certified Peer Support Specialist with a Veteran stamp. He is trained in Wellness Recovery Action Plan, or the acronym RAP, Question, Persuade, Refer, QPR, Suicide Prevention, and Trauma-Informed Care. In addition, Ricky is certified in Critical Time Intervention and implements this model in his daily work activities. Let's tune in now to this week's episode as we hear Ricky share his personal story about his addictions they had to battle, the loss of his son by suicide, and everything in between. When you and I were talking previously, you were describing your experience with addiction and you compared it, I believe, to being a service member and transitioning from military life to civilian life. Do you care to expound on that?
1: I call it a comfortable misery. For me, it was in in an addiction. When you spend so much time in these environments, you develop these skills and tools to help you to survive and you become good at it. And the thought of transitioning to a to a new environment, like transitioning uh, from active duty back to the civilian sector, it's the fear of the unknown. and We doubt our abilities, and it's overwhelming. You know that, that time we spent in that environment, our, that becomes our identity. So the thought of, the thought of leaving that behind is very scary, and that's what it was like for me transitioning from ten years of active addiction into recovery. So that's what I mean by comfortable misery. Now, I think I think a lot of people, a lot of, of veterans, experience that. You know, transitioning from active duty. Um, into the civilian, into the civilian sector.
2: Two questions for you and you can answer them in whichever order, however you want to. For you, I'd like it if you could talk a little bit about your recovery process and what that was like and how similar it was, as you mentioned to transitioning from military life to civilian life. The second thing I'd like you to speak to is your relationship with your son. You mentioned having a son at the age of seventeen. When you were seventeen, and now that you're out of the military, as you transitioned and as you went through rehab, how did all of that impact your relationship with your son?
1: When did my recovery start? So Tiffany, for for you get for you to get the full effect of who I am, I'll paint the picture for you. Um, besides being a five-year Marine veteran, I'm also a three-time convicted felon uh, for methamphetamines and DWIs. I done some time in prison. I spent five years on felony probation. I paid into the state of Missouri close to $16,000 in fines and court costs. Uh, Tiffany, the past 25 years that I could legally drive, I've not had a driver's license for, for 17 of those years. My last CWI lost my license for 10 years, and I'm, I'm eligible to get them back today or now, but it's going to be a long process. I have no bitter feelings toward law enforcement at all. Uh, law enforcement done their job with me. I proved that I was reckless behind the wheel of a vehicle um everything that i was charged with and convicted of i was 100% guilty of doing don't make excuses um i did it i knew what i was doing and i got held accountable i
2: believe no matter what the topic is that can be the most difficult thing to do acknowledge what you have done wrong admit that you have been done wrong and to accept the punishment and move forward for you moving forward with those things you actually did some collaboration with the local police department, right?
1: I share with law enforcement my perspective and they share with me there so we can better, you know, better support one another. And I speak in courts. Uh, I, I, anything I can do to, to assist law enforcement or, or, or maybe they need some of my perspective. Um, that's what I do. So I was living with my stepdad. I think I was 31 and he got sick of my mess. And he said, listen, Ricky, said, I'm done with you. Figure it out. He said, you won't stop lying. You won't stop stealing. You're a terrible example to Landon." You won't keep a job. And he put me out and I was homeless for a couple of years. And when I say I was homeless, Tiffany, that doesn't mean I was living under a bridge. I was couch surfing. I was using people. I was manipulating. And that's how I was surviving. The transition for me happened. Um, I ended up in a rescue mission. OK, and, and Tiffany, this rescue mission, I had three changes of clothes to my name and that was it. I done lost everything. You know, I, I was at the very bottom. I burned every bridge that I had uh, and my family and friends were sick of my mess. I met my wife. Uh, meeting her saved my life. Uh, she believed in me. She saw something me- in me I didn't see. Uh, prior to meeting her, you know, it, uh, meeting her motivated me to be to be the best possible man that I could be. And I knew that I had to be the best version of myself. You know, prior, you know, prior to meeting my wife, I was very promiscuous. I was reckless with no morals and values. Uh, my wife's the epitome of morals and values and principles and she set boundaries she set some boundaries with me in the very beginning she's like listen Ricky if we're going to be together this is the way it's got to be she's like you got to stay sober keep a job and respect me and she loved me enough to hold me accountable and i needed, i needed somebody to do that uh, my wife's got two masters degrees and i got three felonies so we're like the yin and the yang we 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 balance one another out i've been sober for around 9 years now
2: Let's talk a little bit about that second question as it relates to your son.
1: Um, I wish I had a fairy tale story for you, uh, Tiffany. But unfortunately, I was not the best example of a father. I was absent a lot. Um, you know, I did the best I knew how. And I'm not, not going to sit here making excuses for you. I'm not a victim. I created victims. Um, I'm not going to tell you that I was Ricky with the disease of addiction. I knew everything that I was doing. I was held accountable. And um, you know, I paid for it. Uh, my 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 behaviors impacted other people and it caused a ripple effect of destruction and it 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 affected and it, it the person that affected the the person that it affected the most was my son. Um unfortunately for me, uh Tiffany, uh all the all the time that I spent worrying about what Ricky wanted, what Ricky needed, poor Ricky, Ricky's locked up, Ricky's addiction. Um, I neglected the person that needed me the most and that was my son. You know, all the broken promises, the letdowns and lies. Um, I would tell my son I love you more than life, I'll do anything for you, uh, but I wouldn't get sober for him. I was putting other other I was putting other criminals, other people lost in addiction, and I was putting my own addiction above him. Uh the message I was sending to him was these people are more important to me than you. I would steal from my own kid to get high Tiffany, something I think about every single day. Uh to make the long story short, Uh, My son felt like he didn't have any worth or value. On December 12th, 2015, I get a phone call. Um, My 18-year-old son went to a city park and he hung himself. Uh, He took his own life. Um, As you can imagine, it knocks the piss out of me every single day. I go to sleep with a broken heart. I wake up with a broken heart. Um, I'm not mad at my son. and I'm not mad at God. You know, my son made a bad choice. Um, The way way that I choose to look at it is my son's death killed me, but inspired me. It inspired me to be a better person. You know, prior to his death, Tiffany, I was already sober and I was I was finally able to be the father to him that I neglected being for so long. You know, I, I had I probably had two or three good years with him that he saw saw this transition in my life. So I'm thankful for that. I explain to people, you know, there's days that I do blame myself. But what I can tell you for sure is my behaviors impacted his mental health. You know, and that's going to happen. Like, I, And I tell people the way that we treat other people matters. The broken promises, the letdowns, the lies. So every single day when I leave my house i'm I'm very aware from from the beginning how I treat people matters you know when i when I leave my house i'm I'm held accountable from the very beginning. You know there's days that I wake up discontent pissed off um I don't have license I can't drive I got three felonies, my son's dead you know there's many there's many excuses that I could use to be a negative individual, but I refuse to do that i re- I refuse to take I, I refuse to take out my trauma on other people. The quote that I live by is if a man is right, his world is right." People often ask me, does it get easier? And, and, you know, it's not that it gets easier, but I just, I'm just more prepared and better equipped to deal with it now than what I used to be. It's like riding a wave of emotions that comes and it goes. Um, I'm just somebody that I don't sit and la- I don't lay in it. I don't let myself get obsessed and uh, consumed with it because it, it will control me. So now I just, I try to do something positive with my life and try to do the, do the best that I can by giving back, talk about the red flags that I saw with my son, how my behaviors impacted his life. You know, Tiffany, when I, when I share about the, the way my behaviors impacted his life. I don't say that. I don't do that to people. To, I don't want to. I'm not there to shame them or or judge them or insult them. I'm just sharing with them what I did myself and what I, how I saw that impact my son. And I want, I, I, my hope is for that, that they can, if they're doing the same things that they can look at herself in the mirror and be like, you know what? I need to make some changes. I, I can see, you know, how Rick, what Ricky was talking about. So
2: At the end of the day, I think what matters most is not all the bad or negative things that a person has done in their life, but what a person does from this point on that makes a difference. So to use you for an example, the illegal substances that you found yourself caught up in, the getting in trouble with the law, losing your driver's license because of those mistakes that you made Yes, those things happened, and you said that you take you take the ownness of those mistakes that you have made. So you at this point, you have a choice. You can either wallow in your sorrows of losing your son, or "Woe is me because I did this or I did that or I didn't do this." Or the better choice is to get the counseling, the help the resetting of your mindset to move forward in life to live a better more positive life and it sounds like that's what you're doing but not only that you're taking the loss of your son you're taking the bad decisions that you have made and you're using your story To collaborate with law enforcement, you're using your story to help others that you interact with to not make the same mistakes that you have. And if you run into somebody who has made that same mistake, you're saying, Hey, look, I get it. I've been there. You need to, you need to watch yourself or you might find yourself in the same place that I found myself. And I think that's amazing to be able to take your junk. And use it for the good of the community and those who you come across.
1: Oh, so and 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 piggyback off of what you just said. A quote that I live by is: "A smart man learns from his own mistakes. A wise man learns from the mistakes of others." And that's why I, that's why I'm so open about sharing, you know, my life. Uh, let let my trauma be your treasure. You know, learn from me. So. Yeah, I agree.
2: Earlier, you mentioned something about some traumatic events that happened to you at a young age or in your childhood. Do you care to elaborate on any of those
1: things? Yes. Um. So, two things that had a big, uh, a very traumatic impact on my life, or was uh, being sexually violated. I got, you know, I got molested as a kid. Um, I was, I was a young kid. I was probably between the ages of six, seven, and eight, somewhere in that time frame. Um, it was by an older cousin. Um, I got, you know, I got molested. I was not. It was. It wasn't. Some, it wasn't a scenario where I was just held down and somebody overpowered me. It was one of those situations where I knew it was wrong. I knew it was something wasn't right, and I hesitant. I hesitantly participated. I didn't really. I didn't realize until later. Later on down, you know, down the road in my life, that you know, looking back, that I was. I was uh, taken advantage of, and I was violated. Um, I didn't tell my parent. I didn't tell my mother about it. until I was probably. It, it wasn't. It was a. Uh, wasn't too. It was probably about a year before my mother passed away, so it was it was way down the road, and I never I never told anybody who it was. I just you know I dealt with it, and but obviously you know uh, suppressing those things, it had a very uh, traumatic impact on my life. I get to the Marine Corps, um, and I didn't sh- I didn't start sharing this publicly till about a few years ago. But I was 21 years old, naive from a small town, confident you know, th- I thought I could handle myself and I was working security at a bar in uh, Beaufort, South Carolina. I was working, I was working the door at the door, checking IDs. Um, I was invited to an after party and, you know, I didn't know anybody, but I'm like, you know, I'm young. I'm going to go check it out just to experience the area. And I went, I drank very heavily. Like I said, I never had it. I never could drink in moderation and i you know, looking and, and Tiffany looking back a lot of the, a lot of me drinking was me, um, Running from the things that had happened to me, and I was numbing myself by doing that. So I go to this party, um, I drank very heavily, passed out. I was inebriated and incoherent, and I was awakened uh, by another male attempting to undo my pants. And it sent a bit of rage through me that I can't explain. Uh, that scenario has, it still impacts me. You know, there's, there's times that I, there's certain behaviors related to what happened to me that I still could easily. Let it consume me with hate, but I don't want to live that way. I've learned to, um, you know, I've learned to deal with it. I was at a presentation uh, with the Marines about a month ago and a young lady come up to me afterwards and she said, "Sir, do you? She said, um, have you ever gotten over that? And do you still have anger? I said, yeah, absolutely. I was like, I've ne- I'll i never get over it. But I've just learned to, you know, I accept it as part of life. It's like riding a wave. I just don't let it, it consume me. So Tiffany, to be honest with you, um, I'll share some things of the way it's affected my life experiencing sexual trauma. Um, for instance, when I go to the gym and I, when I go to the gym locker room, um, it's like going for me, it's like walking into a minefield, you know, seeing male nudity is not something that I desire. So I always, it's like, I just keep my head down. Uh, if I have the option to use, um, a stall instead of a urinal to, uh, use the restroom. I always, I always choose the stall because I like that security. I don't like, you know, anybody around me. That's just, I just like, that's just my preference. Um, with intimacy with my wife, I'm a very modest guy, very reserved. Um, the thought of my wife ever feeling pressured by me is something that disturbs me because I'm, I'm farthest from that. So that's something that's, that's another thing that's, that's not, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but that's something that I still carry with me. With kids, I'm, I love kids. I'm very protective of kids, but I still at times I'm not very comfortable holding a little kid. And the reason is because I never want that. I never want that child to look at me the way that I look at the people who, you know, violated me. So I'm always very cautious with kids. So those are just some of the things that um, I still experience to this day. That's re- related to uh, being uh, experiencing sexual trauma. And if you know anybody that's listening to this, you know, male or female, but especially males, because I know a lot of males probably have a difficult time opening up about this. Um, You're not alone with how you feel. The the feelings you have about this is real. It's valid. Um, I can't tell you that I know how you feel, but I can definitely relate to it. And um, I'm in this fight with you. And, you know, my heart goes out to you. Anybody that's ever experienced that.
2: Marine Corps veteran Ricky Johnson. Thank you so much for coming out and sharing your story with me and the audience of the Medal of Honor podcast. I really do appreciate you taking the time to do this. I wish you all the best as you move forward in life, impacting other people's lives from your experiences in life.
1: Well, I appreciate you having me on, Tiffany.
0: Phoenix, something. Good morning. <laughs> so I'm on my second cup of coffee, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel like such an old lady. I just don't do well when I'm up late anymore. I'm an early to bed, early to rise person. So if I'm up past midnight, that is a big deal. Like I don't even stay up for New Years anymore. That's how old I oh, am. Oh yeah,
2: I'm the same way. New Years, uh, I'm gonna go to bed. When I wake up, it'll be a new year. I'm good to go with that. Yep. Yep,
0: that is exactly right. How was your show last night? Comedians were funny. I mean, I had a new a new comedian, local comedian Charleston, Ryan Quinn. He, he's really funny. Pia Helms' daughter, Kevin Williams, Alex Scott was a highlight. I mean, they all did great. It's hard on a Monday night to get people to come out to comedy. It was fun. Like we had we had about half tourists and half locals. Um, really nice crowding, very, you, know, it, you never know, like the night after Will Smith slaps the crap out of Chris Rock, you're know, like, what's going to happen? Am I going to get slapped or maybe yeah. one of the <laughs> people in the audience? Um so yeah. you it be you can be slapping
2: the other one now. Don't be Will Smith.
0: No, I think that was so horrible. I mean, I mean, granted, you know, Chris Rock did call his wife a Navy lieutenant, which I would be offended to. There's no, there's no Room for that anywhere. The fact that he did that and go so un- unapologetically and just—I mean, this whole like I'm defending my wife. No, shut up. There's never a point. I mean, it's not like if he was groping her or physically touching her or something. That's one thing. But he's a comedian. Right. He's literally supposed to do jokes and making fun of people is what we get paid to do. So yeah, yeah I, th- I thought it was very poor taste, and I was super disappointed because up until that point I thought highly of Will Smith and then my entire like perception of him and was just shattered just I was so disappointed and oh my gosh I thought I I was the only one I feel the same way no no I mean I grew up watching Fresh Prince of Bel-Air I grew up you know watching all his movies I loved him in Hitch I loved him in Men in Black I mean and mean, he's a very talented actor but He's obviously got too big for his britches. And to feel that entitled, that you can just go up and strike, and that, I mean, he could have handled it so much better. You just say, like, yeah. hey, man, that's not cool, or, you know, shut the heck up, or whatever. But for him to go slap and just go off like that, like, it literally looked like he was having a mental breakdown. And just so unprofessional. and Anyway, yeah. Robin, he makes his